Welcome to Jammin' with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit, risk, and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology, because we can. So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Jammin' with Jason. Hey, today I am excited because I have Tom Harris with me. And uh, just a little background on Tom. He is the Vice President of Internal Audit at National Cinemedia. Uh, so he's a chief audit executive there, and we, we've known each other for a few months now, started talking about actually system implementations. So wanted to have Tom on uh, so that we can kind of talk about how internal audit can kind of interact in a major system implementation, because uh, there's a couple of different options that people have. And so we'll kind of share what worked really well for Tom just recently, um, kind of the other approach as well and uh, just kind of go through, talk, talk about, share some war stories and some other things like that uh, so that those of you that are going through this uh, can kind of see what some of the different options are that are out there. So Tom, welcome aboard. Well, good morning. How are you, Jason? I'm doing well. Now, just, just a little bit of trivia and just to kind of put, put some spotlight on people. You know, a lot of people uh, maybe haven't heard of National Cinemedia. Uh, you know, I didn't, I hadn't actually heard of it before I, before I met you, but it's like, it's kind of like companies that I used to work for where everybody uses or sees the product, but they just don't realize the company. So do you want to just kind of tell everybody just quickly kind of what, what your company does because they're all going to go, Oh yeah. I, okay. I, I know what you guys do. All right. Well, um, certainly. And, and I wasn't aware of National Cinemedia and, until I started uh, looking into the organization. And it's a great company. It really is. Uh, our, our motto is we connect brands to movie audiences. Mm -hmm. We have two primary markets. One is the cinema market. And, and uh, when you go to the movies and you show up early, there's a pre-show. Uh, the, the newbie pre-show is NCM's uh, product and we reach 750 million moviegoers a year. We're in 21,000 screens, the top 160 uh, DMAs, designated market areas. So we've got a lot of different uh, advertising opportunities within the different theaters throughout the U.S. Uh, the other market is the digital market, and mm -hmm. it, and the tagline there is going beyond the big screen. And we. We uh, are in the digital space. We're kind of young. We're small. We're growing. Uh, there's a lot of competitors out there right now. Uh, the, the big names are Google and, and even Amazon is, is in advertising as well as Facebook driving mm -hmm. digital ads to individual users. Uh, we've got four owned and operated digital properties, Nuvi.com. It's, it's kind of like Fandango. Uh, it's your go-to digital destination for trailers and showtimes. And mm. We also have Shuffle. It's a mobile movie, a trivia game. Uh, Nuvi Arcade, which is a really cool augmented reality uh, app. And then Fantasy Movie League, uh, as popular as the other fantasy leagues are, we figured we should have one of, around <laughs> movies, and, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, 
and uh, our digital market is a collector and user of consumer data, and, and I think we are all aware that that regulatory landscape is changing quite mm -hmm. a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, and the whole inter the, the whole entertainment space is changing significantly too. So, I mean, it, I think it's it's always interesting to kind of hear what what companies are doing, and then you know how some of this stuff kind of kind of fits in here. I know I know you know mainly our topic today is kind of talking about system implementations, but I think it's important for people to realize too, you know, it's like everything is changing out there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, system Absolutely, implementations yeah. are one thing that changes, um, but there's lots of stuff, you know, <laughs> some of those names that you listed up there, you know, Amazon, Facebook, <laughs> Google, uh, you know, they're starting to actually develop entertainment content too. I mean, they're not just mm -hmm. doing ads, but they're like moving heavy into the content space. So going to be a real shakeup in entertainment, but I know that, that's not what we're here to talk about today, but I kind of geek up on some of this stuff a little bit. <laughs> so thanks for indulging me on that. Sure. <laughs> now, um, you know, may, may, maybe to kind of kind of start with, you know, just kind of give a, we can give a little a little background maybe on, because to me it seems like, and I, I don't know if this is the way you see it, but but internal audit usually kind of takes one of two approaches when it comes to system implementations. And so here we're, we're usually talking about like a big system implementation, an enterprise resource planning, ERP kind of tools, so, you know, something that goes, you know, way out into the organization and affects lots of users. Um, and I've right. usually seen either kind of this standoffish, let's watch what happens and then go in and audit it afterwards and tell them what they did wrong. Or there's the let's jump in and kind of embed ourselves in with the team and help work through the process. Um, as well. Those are kind of the two that I've seen. Have you seen any other ones besides that or? Yeah, actually I've, I've, uh, throughout my career, I think I've participated in, in, in about a half a dozen different types and, uh, some of them are limited scope. Some of them are full scope. I think the two that you mentioned would be the two full scope, the post implementation review. And that's, that's, uh, uh, that's essentially when auditors go in after the battlefield and spear yep. the wounded, right? I know. I love that. I love that concept. You know, it's like, we're here to help. Now we're bayoneted. We're here, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The two biggest lies in business, right? Uh, uh, we're, we're from internal audit. We're here to help. And, and we're so glad you're here, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, but there's some other ones to consider as well. And these are more limited. One would be a methodology assessment. And, and that's where you kind of focus on the process, not a particular project. You look at compliance to methodology, effectiveness of the methodology, and you can do this pre, during, or post-implementation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, another would be a project risk assessment where you, you break that particular project down into the types of risks it's, it's facing, how the business is addressing and mitigating those risks. Um, and the, the trouble with that one, however, is the audit typically isn't involved in follow through of the risk mediation, uh, risk mediation until after post go live. So you have some issues where you've identified risks and then you come back later to see how they were mitigated. But even then it's too late. Yeah. Uh, another another limited scope is is kind of a, a pre-launch readiness assessment. So the development's done, UAT is done, and then you sit down and say, okay, do we check all the boxes? Um, and that is less effective because oftentimes, if there needs additional development work or 
more focus on user access or security, you, you kind of have to halt the project and then go back and redo some things. You really don't get an opportunity to fix them ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one that I think you, you kind of touched on a little bit would be the key phases review. And at different checkpoints or mm-hmm. milestones, you, you take a look at where things are at. It's a little more involved, but again, it is kind of standoffish. Yeah. If you get to a, 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 a checkpoint and you realize something isn't done right, it's, it's like, okay, stop, let's go back and, and redo it. So those, those are, I think, um, all very useful. Um, the post-implementation review, I think, is, is probably the, uh, the, the, most, the one that I've seen most in my career, and, and its biggest drawback is you don't, you don't apply those lessons learned in, until next time, which with an ERP could be <laughs> eight, ten years later. Well, and, mil- and <clears throat> tens of millions of dollars too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's where it's it kind of you know becomes interesting that way. So I thought what I'd do for for some of the user listeners that aren't really familiar with the system development life cycle, you know, that's that's kind of a, a process that IT departments kind of go through, right? So if you took the CIA exam, you know, because I've taught lots of people, you know, to help them pass the CIA exam. This is one of the big concepts that's in there. So some of you may be familiar with this already, but if not, I'll just kind of run run through kind of the steps really quick because I think this goes back to, you know, what you were talking about, Tom, on, you know, what kind of a, of a scope are we going to do? Is this going to be a full scope? Is it going to be partial? Is it going to be, you know, whatever. So kind of to start with, there's like this system planning, right, where people realize, hey, you know what, um, we need a different tool what we've got is not working for us. And so we have to start planning and thinking about what it is that we need. Then you start kind of analyzing or assessing what systems are out there. And then you can decide, am I gonna buy something, you know, which would be like a system selection or am I actually going to develop something myself? So I'm gonna build something myself. And so if you build it, then there's this whole programming concept that comes into it. If you buy it, then you've got to configure it, right? And so again, in any of those steps so far, you can see where audit could be involved or not involved, right? You get to the end of it, you do the testing, you know, you test to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do. And then there's this whole conversion and implementation phase that you go through where it gets rolled out into the company. And then, you know, as you go through, you're going to be, you know, looking at refinement and how the operations are working and other things like that until you need to go back to the system planning phase again, right? And so I think, you know, like you talked about some of these different ways that we can do it, we, we kind of plug ourselves in to different phases of, of this SDLC process. And so maybe let's, let's talk first about this post-implementation review because I, I think, like you said, this is the one that I've seen auditors do the most and it seems kind of like traditional audit work. We go in afterwards and we are bayonetting people sometimes because they didn't get everything right. And then we're critical of them at the end. And I don't think that's the most effective way of doing it. Right. Um, yeah. And so, again, I mean, I, I don't know what your experience has been on that. If you want to maybe share a, a story or if you have a story about that, I know I do <laughs> on, on what yeah. can go wrong when we just kind of jump in at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've seen system implementation reviews where 
um, audit has come in to look at how user access was set up, how user security was set up, which is a critical piece of ERPs. Um, and oftentimes, not frequently, but oftentimes that go live will be, the user access is set up so that everyone has administrative privileges. And the thinking is that they don't want security to get in the way of the functionality and, until they've fully vetted the functionality. Of course, mm -hmm. in a UAT environment, you can do that. But in a live environment where you've got real data, that poses a huge risk to an organization. And you don't know about that. You're not involved about that with that in audit until you've already gone live and you recognize that for a six-week period, everybody had full rights to do whatever they want. You know, all of the high and, and critical uh, segregation of duty issues are, are unmitigated. All of those risks are, are just fully exposed. To me, I've seen this a couple of times in my career, and it's always around when audit plans a post-implementation review. If you're involved during the entire project, you can put the brakes on it and say, no, we're not going to do that. We, we just can't do that. And then work with the business to set those security roles up so that in UAT, not a problem. In go live, when, when you've got big real problem. data, you've got to have big problem, big problem. So I, I think that's probably the, the most significant risk that I've seen with post-implementation reviews is it, in not being involved um, up to go live. Yeah. Well, and you see, you see this all the time. And um, because I actually, <laughs> what you just described kind of goes into my story. So I, I think it, it um, maybe may one point to kind of make too, because as you, as you were talking, right, you said, especially like in UAT, people think, hey, we don't want security to slow us down. So let's just, you know, leave it open. Let's go through, let's do what we need to do. Uh, we'll worry about security later. And, and there's, because there's always like this tension between the IT group who is trying to satisfy the customer. They want, they want the system to be able to, you know, not slow down the user. And then there's this other group usually called information security right, that does want to or needs to, you know, deal with the user security issues and other stuff like that. And when those two are separated, you know, usually it becomes kind of a check and balance. If information security is just kind of a part of IT, then usually it's left until the last minute. And that was my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I came in, I came into an organization to set up an internal audit department. There had been what they called an internal auditor there before me, but you know, it really wasn't internal audit. I honestly couldn't figure out what she did most of the time um, afterwards. I mean, she left, I came in and was starting a, a, up, up the department and exactly what you described of security and, you know, kind of getting left until the end is exactly what happened. So I came in right after the system implementation. And honestly, it, so the, 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 it was scheduled to go live on a Monday. And on Friday, the story that I heard, because I wasn't there yet, but the, the team had gotten together and, and on Friday before the Monday go live said, oh, there's this whole security um, component that we didn't really address before. What should we do about that? And so, you know, it's like, you shouldn't get that far and not realize, right? So, so one person like took home the, the, the book, I guess, right? And read over the weekend and said, well, I think we need to flip the switch to this. And it was, it was kind of that all open sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
And so you fast forward, you know, six months or a year when I come in, well, I also get information security as one of my responsibilities very quickly after this little cluster that happened and found out that that decision that they made made my life and our group tr tremendously difficult because now we had to like completely uh, customize every user role and shut everything down and make sure that we've shut all of the right things down instead of like a shut and then open it kind of a thing. So I, I, I think that point that you bring up, you know, if we just wait until the post implementation review, sometimes things have happened that we really can't fix at that point. You know, like you said, it's like, well, shoot, I guess we got to do it next time, but that might be five years from now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and the things that can't be fixed are, are really difficult to, to get around. For instance, um, a data conversion accuracy, mm -hmm. the completeness and accuracy controls over ensuring that the data in the old system is converted into the new system. It, it, once you do that, if you don't have those controls set up, kind of got to go through a UAT before you go through a go live to validate the process of the conversion. If that isn't done up front, and, and if the business isn't ready and aware that they need to essentially evidence that the business verified completeness and accuracy over that data, you can't undo it. Once, mm -hmm. once, once you've converted, it's done. Um, and that was another thing that the business was very receptive with. You know, they, and, and I was very fortunate here at NCM because the development team was really focused on doing things right. And the business was really focused on doing things right. Uh, and you know, the point is that once you get past go live, there's stuff you just can't go back and fix. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that you can is very expensive and takes a lot more time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and like we said, I think that <clears throat> historically, I think most auditors are doing this post-implementation review, but, but you did, you know, I think the word you used before was kind of embedded. You embedded yourself into the team itself, mm -hmm. right? So you were kind of yeah. involved all along the way, which which I I think is a good thing. Now, a lot of audit purists would say, well, now when you do that, right, you're effectively helping to build the system. So you lose your objectivity and now you can't audit it. Okay. Um, so I'm sure, you know, those thoughts must have been going through your head too, right? I mean, how, how would you respond to somebody that says that? Well, that's certainly a risk. Um, of of this approach, and it's something that that you need to be candid about with your audit committee and with your CFO and with the project sponsors. And in this particular instance, um, I absolutely did lose my objectivity over user access and setting up security. Uh, the the business the project had gotten to a point where the business needed some to make some decisions on what the risk ratings were for the SOD conflicts and how to mitigate those, um, what kind of user roles could be set up, how things could be configured. They needed somebody to come in and just really sit with them and work through it. So I did that, recognizing that, um, you know, at this point, I can't perform an independent audit over user access for a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. the, the approach then became finding a partner, a third-party partner, who could independently come in and conduct an audit. And there's lots of, there's, there's lots of firms out there that are capable of doing this. 
Um, but it, you know, it required the support from the CFO because it was budget that we hadn't planned for. Uh, mm-hmm. It required um, knowledge by the audit committee to say, okay, this is what happened. We, we knew this was a risk, um, and this is how we're going to mitigate it. And, and, and I think having all of those pieces connected was critical to, to being able to step in. You know, it was an anticipation of what happens if to be able to step in to keep the project going, uh, to set the user access up correctly. Um, for other parts of the project, I was able to maintain my independence, more of a consultative basis. Well, you know, when you set up workflows, this is what it should look like, and, and then, but not actually do the work, but mm-hmm. help and assist what those workflows should look like. And that's really, you know, looking at controls and assessing the controls that they're putting into place before they put them into place. Um, in, in that respect, I was able to maintain independence, and we're very confident going forward for the next year or so uh, that we can conduct these audits and, and do them in a way that maintains our objectivity. So absolutely, it's, it's probably one of the biggest risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, another huge risk taking this approach is it takes a big time commitment. Uh, there's a lot of meetings that you have to attend. Um, and of course, the corollary is if you're spending your time on this, what other things aren't being done that might be emerging risks that audit still has to respond to. Yeah. Well, so those are two things that you do have to think about as you're going into it, right? I mean, if you're the chief audit executive and and you're looking at the amount of work that you can do this next year, you have to make some of those decisions, right? Is is this important enough and it's a strategic initiative for the organization? We're going to be spending tens of millions of dollars on this. And like you said, if we don't get it right, there's some things that can't be fixed. You know, should we be spending our, our time there? realizing again, if we get deep into it, we might have an objectivity or independence issue and may not be able to audit that. But, you know, in, in my opinion, I think it's better for us to participate on the team and provide value that way instead of the value of the audit afterwards. Because like you said, you can always hire somebody to come in and, and, and mm-hmm. do that afterwards. I, I think it, it just provides more value. And, and one thing that I hope everybody listening gets is the audit report is not the only value that we provide to our organizations, right? So it's right. okay to choose to be on the team and actually help throughout. In fact, I would argue in something like this with a system implementation, you add more value by being a part of the team than coming in afterwards. So, so, so maybe let's, cause I know this actually really went successful for you. And so I wanted to kind of break it apart a little bit for, for others that are kind of, you know, maybe about to embark on this kind of a journey and have to decide, you know, what they're, what they're going to do. Um, because again, I'm guessing this was probably kind of a new approach in your organization where you were more, on the team. So maybe what were some of the things that you needed to do uh, to be able to get the support and, and to, you know, really kind of, you know, persuade or influence people that this really was the best use of, of your time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it is a different approach when, uh, and, and I've been with NCM for about a year now. And when I interviewed for the role, uh, my audit committee chair in the interview process uh, mentioned that the prior 
GAL implementation uh, eight, ten years ago didn't go very well, and it couldn't happen again. <laughs> and ding, so, ding, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, 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 yeah, big red flags, right? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, to me, that told me a couple things. One is I, I would find it highly unusual that the audit committee chair would would still have that in the front of his mind after so many years. You know, they're, they're at a governance level where, yeah, we knew we had a new GL system and we knew it cost us much, but that's about it, right? He mm-hmm. was able to articulate specific issues with the implementation that uh, he wanted he wanted it done differently this time and when i met with the cfo as well she, you know she mentioned the the same thing uh, she wasn't here with the company at the time um, but she did note that the prior gl impl- implementation had quite a few issues with it and it took some time for the organization to recover from that and this you know this time it needed to be different it's like okay it'll be different yeah um, and I'm a big believer that internal audit should only go where they're invited. And I know that is, is a bit controversial uh, because if, uh, if somebody is doing nefarious things, then naturally you wouldn't invite audit in to take a look at it. But on the other side of the coin, uh, I think the CFO and the audit committee chair will invite you wherever you need to go, right? Mm-hmm. So I think by invitation only for this type of a project is – is critical. And it's not just, well, audit committee said, I'm going to go there, so I'm going to go do it. It's also talking with the project sponsors. How would you like me to approach this? What kinds of concerns do you have? What kinds of things can audit do to address those concerns? And taking that very service approach, that that mentality that we are here to provide a service, we're here to help the business to make it better. That's ultimately what audit's goal is. And just that attitude in talking with the project sponsors initially and finding out what they're worried about, uh, much like we do the risk assessments every year, and and then figuring out creative and collaborative ways that we can address those things. And and by having those conversations pretty early on, it it became obvious that the the team, the development team, the stakeholders, um, they were they were very much wanting. Um, audit to get involved, and mm-hmm. even to the point where it's it was uh, you know we we're looking at a vendor right now, uh, a couple of vendors. We've gone through this RFP process. This is where we're at. We're not convinced we have the right the right resources to help with this development effort. What do you think we should do? Those kinds of conversations early on in the project, and then being able to deliver some some answers to some difficult questions. Since audit has this independent set of eyes and we've got completely different business experiences throughout our career, oftentimes we think an obvious answer is right there that for some reason um, Mm. the the business and and the people on the team, they just don't see it. So being able to articulate those things and and talk through those things in a a very consultive uh, advisory capacity really sets the tone for how you're going to operate with the organization as a whole. And, And I think those are really key in, in getting the approval, if you will, the invitation mm-hmm. th- to be invited in. And that's something that, that speaks as much about the organization and, and the people that you're working with as it does about governance and the audit department itself. So those, those things really setting that tone, uh, letting people know that you actually are there to help. You're not just going to stand back and, and criticize it afterwards. Well, and I think, I think, you know, what, what you brought up there kind of refers back to, I know a lot of times we use the word insight 
that we provide insight, right? But that's that's exactly what you're describing there is, you know, when when you're in the day-to-day activities, you know, you're the you're the the project sponsor or somebody else on the team. Um, it's it's often easy to miss something that's right in front of your face because we're so worried about whatever else we're doing. And so that outside perspective from audit really can provide that insight when you just bring up some of those things, right? And that's, that's I think, where we, where we can end up adding a lot of value um, in, in our organizations. Now, I, I thought it was interesting because I was going to ask you a follow-up question. You know, it's like, obviously, you had support from the audit committee and the CFO, but how did you get the support from the project sponsors and the team but but it sounds like when you when you went to talk to them, <clears throat> you know, and kind of say, hey, you know, we know this thing is coming up. What are you worried about? Instead of going to them and saying, hey, the audit committee wants me to to audit you or check out and make sure everything is right, you kind of went in with, the, hey, what are you worried about? And as a natural part of that conversation, they're like, dude, we totally want you to come help us, right? Is yeah, is that kind absolutely. of the sense that came out of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that that uh, talking through what they wanted from the project and what what's not working for them now and what is working for them now and just getting an understanding of that, really the natural conclusion was can you know can you come in and help us with these things? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was the vendor selection hadn't been made yet, but the project design, the product requirements had been identified, and there were a list of seven things, seven enhancements that our controller wanted. And, and they were, I mean, they're basic control stuff that we, the organization should have had, you know, years ago. Workflow has been around for what, a couple of decades and, yeah. and we're just now getting to implement it. So uh, talking through those things and uh, our controller had gotten to the point where she was willing to give up some of those benefits, some of those improvements and enhancements just to get the project done because of costs and budget and, and it's like, well, hey, before you go that way, let's see what we can do about finding the right vendor, about driving a better budget that our CFO will approve. Um, and, and working through that process with all of the different stakeholders, I think, was really beneficial. I, I would call that one of the very early wins. And yeah. it demonstrated that, that yeah, audit can bring things to the table that they, that they hadn't thought possible yet. Not because we're so great, but just because we have a different perspective and, and we have different experiences throughout our career that, that, we, that we can say, hey, wait, I've seen this before. Let's try it this way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the early wins and the kinds of conversations that we had was, was just really critical to, to forming a project team and forming uh, trust with, with the group so that we could, we could, you know, two months later when we're duking out what a workflow should look like, we still have those common elements that we've built trust on. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, <clears throat> I think that approach that you took, that's, this is a big l- l- lesson learning for people, you know, is, is there's, two, there's two ways you could have gone in and talked to the project sponsors, right? And I, and I yeah. think a lot of times people have the tendency to do this, this first approach, which would be, hey, you know, you're on our audit plan this next year because the audit committee and the CFO are concerned that we can't have a mistake like happened last time, blah, 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 right? So (laughs) you're going to be audited now. And I think that's kind of the knee-jerk reaction of a lot of people is, you know, oh, well, you know, they want me to do this, so I'm going to, we're going to come audit, right? And and you come in with kind of that, 
that attitude, which is very off-putting to other people, right? Versus what you did, which is coming in and saying, hey, you know, you, we got this new project coming up here. What, what, are you, what are you worried about? You know, and just start to have that conversation because as people start bringing that stuff up, right? Some, some magic words that people can use is once somebody kind of expresses what they're worried about or what they need, then you could turn around and say, well, would you like some help with that? And if they mm -hmm. say yes, <laughs> then it's like, <laughs> now you're being invited, right? And so right. you're not there like forcing them to do it. And, and especially like that first attitude, you know, of coming in, we're going to audit a lot of those, you know, some of those people on the team might've been there for that previous GL implementation. So if you go in kind of bad mouthing the old thing or the stuff that's not working currently, they're probably going to take offense at it anyway. Yep. You know, to Absolutely. begin with, and that's going to damage your relationship. So great job on that. See, that's why I wanted to talk to you today because <laughs> I know you did all these things <laughs> great and I want everybody else to hear this too. So, um, so, so you get in, you're, you're on the team. So maybe kind of talk about, you know, cause like you said, this is a, it is a big time commitment, you know, for, for you and for certain members of your team. Um, because in doing this, you're obviously not doing some other things. Um, but, but kind of maybe explain some of the ways that you were involved in the team and kind of through the process, you know, cause I'm sure there were other people on your staff probably that maybe were, were helping out with this too. And so some of the different roles that you played in that and how, how that kind of un unfolded as, as you went through. Sure. Absolutely. And it, uh, I think attending the the weekly standups. Uh, we use an agile methodology. We do use SDLC, that, that kind of waterfall approach where mm -hmm. uh, it's linear and sequential. So you got to finish one phase before you move on to the next. Um, and in the development phase here, we, we, uh, we, the agile methodology would have uh, weekly standup meetings where we come in, talk about blockers, work through issues. Uh, and, and the idea is to continue to, to work on things, right? And to keep it on pace. And we would have sprints off to the side, which is another uh, agile mm -hmm. methodology to, to get certain things done. Um, and the, the stand-up meetings, I think, were probably the most important. Uh, a lot of the breakout sessions where we would sit down with particular stakeholders and developers and, and work through individual functionality. And again, independence is key. Uh, attending the meetings, providing that, that consulting, um, they'd ask questions about how is this structured, and, and I could ask questions back, well, if you do it this way, what about that? And, and if you take this approach, what's the impact over here? And a lot of those questions led to dialogues that, that were really productive in terms of how the product was going to be configured, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it came to the custom code within revenue and deferred revenue. Our model has some very peculiar things when it comes to revenue recognition. Uh, the timing of when we deliver, um, the, the expectation within the market about the flexibility of, of delivery time, uh, different costs, CPM uh, costs, um, different market areas get changed, and, and all of that uh, can have an effect on revenue recognition. So our revenue module required quite a bit of customization and working through that, not wanting to replicate what was done before, wanting to make it better, I, I think was, was the focus of what those breakout sessions were. Mm -hmm. And a um, couple of key points 
I, I talked a little bit about where I, I rolled up my sleeves when it came to user access and, and uh, the security roles. Uh, there were some other points with data conversion, um, the, the testing of the completeness and accuracy of the data coming from the old system to the new system, providing uh, three lines of defense so that when Deloitte, our external auditor, came in, we were able to deliver a package that says, here's how we addressed the data conversion. And, you know, they spent a few hours looking at it and said, this is fantastic, um, <laughs> which, which I think was, uh, reflects on the team because they were willing to go through and, and put in the due diligence to make sure that, um, that the testing and the validation of that conversion met expectations, not just complete and accurate, but also being able to evidence it in a way that our external auditor felt really good about having accurate data. Mm-hmm. So I, do, I did have a, a senior IT auditor, a um, very experienced um, gentleman who is very strong all the way around. He did the, uh, we call it a validation of the assessment of the conversion, which kind of gives you an idea of mm-hmm. what that picture looks like. Uh, he did it at UAT, which was a full validation for all of the data conversion, and then we did it again at GoLive. Uh, in both of those instances, we developed uh, a, a methodology for presenting what was done, and then we also issued a memo, uh, copying our external as well as the audit committee and the CFO, saying, you know, here's here's what they here's what the business did, here's how we validated it. Um, we, we connected with our external pretty early on to make sure our approach was good. And so those those are two memos we issued. Mm-hmm. Uh, there weren't a lot of formal communications. Uh, you know, typically you'll have a, a status meeting or uh, an update memo or and a report at the end and a planning memo at the beginning. Because of the way this project evolved, uh, there was very little bit of that formal communication. There was a lot of informal day-to-day discussions uh, with with the stakeholders, with the team. Um, meetings with the audit committee uh, on, on a quarterly basis, occasionally a separate call to the audit committee chair just to you know let them know what we're doing. And, and this is one of the things that I'm, I don't know how well I did this part because I would have liked to have seen more frequent formal communication come out of it. Uh, and, and it just didn't develop. It was there was a lot of moving targets, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, how could I have done that better? I'm I'm just not sure yet. Uh, well, we've got this independent audit of user access and security coming up. Uh, we'll have a formal report out of that. But as I look back over the last nine months, and I look at the amount of time that I put into it, um, that that my my senior internal <laughs> auditor put into it. And, the, and just the lack of formal communication, I'm kind of bothered by that. Nobody else <laughs> seems to me, but I'm, I'm looking at it going, how could, how could I have done that better? And I'm, and I'm not sure. Well, and, and actually, because it's funny as you were saying that, because I, I was going to ask you kind of a follow-up coaching question, if you will, from that, but you, you almost kind of <laughs> answered your own question, okay? But, but I think it's, it's an important point to bring up, and I'm glad that you did, because I'm sure that a lot of people listening would be or could be feeling the same way, right? It's like, I mean, in audit, we get used to, you know, we go and do, we go and do a project and there's, you know, pre-communications and during communications and afterwards we issue this final report and we've got this PowerPoint deck and we've got blah, 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 right? And we get used yeah. to the more formal communication. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And sometimes we spend way too much time on those too, by the way. But that's, an, that's yeah. another point for another day. Um, 
but you know, especially because as you were talking, I mean, you guys were taking an agile approach to the project and formal communications under an agile approach don't really exist. That's what your standup meetings are. That's some of your, you know, other stuff that's kind of built into it. But throughout the process, you obviously were communicating what you were doing because like you said, you were a little bit bothered by it, but nobody else seemed to be bothered by it. So to me, that means, well, if nobody else in your organization was bothered by it, including the audit committee, <laughs> your executive <laughs> people on the team, if they didn't feel the need for you to put out a formal report, I think, good on you, mate. It's okay. <laughs> you were still communicating, <laughs> right? So, so it's okay. Yeah. Feel comfortable with that. Um, okay. I'll, and, I'll think about, I'll, <laughs> I'll think about being well, comfortable. I, <laughs> I, I think that's, um, and, and like you said, I, I probably should talk more about that on some other stuff, but it's, it's, as, as we move from kind of, you know, traditional auditing, kind of what we've done to more, you know, quicker speed. I mean, some people are using the term agile auditing and trying to incorporate those processes into it. I think it's, it is going to make some of us feel a little uncomfortable. Like I did all this work, but what do I have to show for it? Right. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up working with my hands. My dad was a contractor. I built furniture and did all kinds of stuff. You know, at the end of the day, when you're using your hands to make something, you can see the progress at the end of the day and you can feel good about it. You know, or it's like my dad would drive me around. He's like, yep, I built that house over there in 1974, right? Or whatever, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> in, in our job, we don't get some of that same satisfaction because there's no like tangible end product. And so sometimes it can feel a little awkward like that, but like I'm, I'm telling you, we probably need to get, get comfortable with it. Cause if your audit committee didn't have a problem with it, if your executives didn't have a problem with it, and if your, uh, you know, project team didn't have a problem with it, I think you guys still did a pretty good job of communicating. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and I know you <laughs> said you got to noodle on it a little bit, but I, I think that's probably a reality that we're moving into as a profession we're going to have to, we're going to have to learn how to get comfortable with that and find other ways maybe to, to check in and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But if everybody's happy, we probably are. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that was actually kind of a, like a lesson learned, I guess, too, because I, I wanted to kind of wrap up our, our talk, you know, today of, I mean, obviously you guys, you did some great things. People were happy. It sounds like the project was a success, you know, um, besides this one that we just talked about, you know, of, uh, around formal communication and should you have done something better around formal communication? I guess, are there some other things that you learned kind of going through this or maybe things that were aha moments for you as you, as you were going through? Yeah, there's, there's a, a handful of things. Uh, we we got a little creative in UAT, and and uh, let me let me just say that I do think that uh, it was a success. I you know a B plus A minus, which for a project of this size is pretty good. Uh, we did have one three week um, slip in schedule, and and three weeks on a nine month project is 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 pretty darn good. That's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah, uh, we came in uh, at budget, uh, a little under, I think, just a hair under uh, mm -hmm. overall budget, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and we're getting the functionality that we wanted. Uh, so I think, I think overall, it was it was a success. 
um, we had we did have to get creative to meet that to, to meet some of those objectives uh, within UAT we actually set up a separate uh, two different UATs uh, which um, ended up creating some issues for us after go live that we didn't see uh, and, and we did this because we hadn't gotten a clean data conversion yet. So we wanted to be able to have a UT, UAT environment where we could do just data validation. Um, and, of course, if you have a UAT environment for functionality, oh. then you keep changing the data. So, yeah. so we had two different UATs set up at one point in time going concurrently. Um, and the custom code for our revenue and, and deferred revenue was being tested, and, and we were flushing out uh, quite a few functional issues in, in, in that one environment. And then we did our validation, data validation. We had a couple of different times where we had to reinitiate the data conversion uh, and, and make changes in how we configured it and some of the sequencing. And we finally got to the point where we got a clean conversion and then we pulled those two UAT environments together, but uh, we didn't retest some of the functionality in that combined environment. Uh, we thought it was good, right? Okay, yeah. After, yep, after go live, uh, we, we started seeing some sniggly issues. And then the sniggly issues uh, were with invoicing, and, and, and it was all about printing, right? It's like the in, you could go in and check the invoice data and it was clean, but when it came out as an invoice that would go to our customer, it wasn't. So, or, <laughs> or they would just disappear, right? We just didn't have any invoices. It's, you know, the data is there. So the, so the core logic is there, but what we do with the data to get the invoice out, something was going wrong. Something was up. We couldn't figure it out. And the, uh, the, uh, the sniggly issues started to raise. And, and there are things that would, would slow us down in our close process. Uh, nothing major or monumental, but, but they just started to, you know, we, essentially we had to throw some more resources at it to start cleaning them up and getting on top of it because we weren't closing them out as quickly as we were accumulating them. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so I think the, the dual UAT may have contributed to those things. Um, I think our, our testing scripts within UAT could have been better. Uh, but they weren't bad, and and I think those are some tweaks we we would do next time, right? Um, and we also had to make some some decisions about functionality that we were going to push post go live. Full AP workflow is something that we had to push uh, post go live because Microsoft had an issue that wouldn't be fixed until a later re revision. Uh, we also pushed moderate risk side conflicts to after go live. Mm -hmm. uh, addressing all high and, and, and knowing what the moderate ones were, we just weren't going to fix them until later. Uh, you know, we took a look at them and said, yeah, we can live with this for a week or two. And then um, we also had uh, some, some um, and, I'm, and I'm trying to think, there's another functionality that we had to push. Um, it doesn't come to mind right now. And another thing that we had to prepare for was a mandatory update from Microsoft mm -hmm. two, two months after go live to go from 8.4 to 10.0.4. So those were things that were we, we had to prepare for. Um, if we'd have pushed the go live of 8.4 later, you know, another period or two later, we would have had to start things over because only the new version would have been available for us to go live. So that... That, I think, really drove us to look at UAT a little bit differently with the two different environments.
Mm-hmm. So I think those are those are all lessons learned. Um, maybe one or two of those are pitfalls, um, but ultimately these were decisions that were that were made. Um, and, and I think the decision-making process was very effective because we talked about risks. We talked about how to mitigate it. We talked about, you know, do we really want to do this? Do we want to take these other approaches? Uh, we didn't know everything at the time, but the discussions and the conversations around those decisions were, were really centered on what's the risk, what's our mitigation, and, and why do we really want to do it? I, I think they were very effective conversations. Well, and that's and that's the important thing for people to remember. Anytime we're we're we're, we're dealing with risks, we don't have all the information when you have to make a decision. <laughs> so, you have the good conversations, right? And then you make the best decision you can. In hindsight, you know, okay, mm-hmm. next time you might do something different. But I mean, it sounds like again an A minus or B plus effort. That's that's still pretty good. <laughs> that's still yeah, really good. That's, yeah, um, we were pretty pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things actually that I, because when we were talking beforehand um, too, probably to bring up um, too, because this kind of gets back to um, cloud computing and the fact that, you know, a lot of people are moving into this space. And and one of the things around software is updates and patches and things like that. Right. And Mm -hmm. so historically, you know, each organization has kind of decided, well, do I want to do the patch or the update? Do I want to wait, you know, three months? Do I want to wait until the next version, you know, that comes out? And, and when you were in a, you know, client server environment, you could make those decisions because everything was running off of your own servers. <laughs> in fact, that was sometimes why you made those decisions, right? It's like our servers yeah. can't handle that update or whatever. We got to fix some hardware things first. Okay. In the cloud environment, you don't have that choice, do you? <laughs> No, not really. Um, and, and we were, uh, Microsoft does updates uh, on a monthly basis. And uh, initially we thought that we were required to take every single update. And they've kind of softened that a little bit so that there are certain updates we can skip and certain that are mandatory. Uh, they do recommend that you don't skip two in a row because the changes will be significant, uh, or I should say more significant than if uh, if, if you did every one. Uh, and, and it does require a, a bigger focus on the updates. How are you going to test it, particularly when it comes to the custom code? And we haven't gone through one yet. We're, we're right now preparing to go through one, uh, and hopefully it'll address the AP workflow stuff. It'll, it'll uh, address some of the other functional things that we've seen uh, that, that we kind of want to get cleaned up. Nothing major, uh, but the turnaround time on those updates are really quick. You typically have a, a week from the time you get the code until it's going to be pushed. And uh, we're kind of uh, trying to keep an open mind about what that looks like. And we've done some things internally where we've moved projects out to give our developers, uh, our, our uh, we call them the finance application team, uh, to give them more time in their calendar. Uh, for instance, the independent auto user access, we've pushed that out to September to give our developers an opportunity to look at the code and, and to kind of free up their, their schedule. And again, it's collaborative, right? Mm-hmm. Say, hey, we got to do this. What's your calendar look like? Uh, you know, the response was, well, we can fit it in if we have to. And I'm like, well, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> well, here's all, the st- here's all the stuff we're working on that week. Oh, okay. How about if we move it out a month? Oh, that'd be great. So yeah. 
it's it, it's part of the uh, of that collaborative approach. Um, so I, th I think that's really key with all of these changes, and particularly with the cloud, just being aware of what's being pushed and the very tight turnaround cycle that the team has to do the testing, to check for functionality, and, and then prepare for that update. Yeah. Well, because it does obviously change some of the processes that you have to do, both both your team as well as IT, <clears throat> you know, to be able to prepare for these if they're coming out monthly, you know, where, you know, again, it used to be maybe quarterly or six months, you know, was when when the updates used to come out. And now, like you said, they're they're coming out much more frequently. So you just have to have to have a better process to be able to help you get through those as well. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And right now, um, our audit department is looking at a consulting project uh, to implement DevOps principles within our different uh, product development life cycles. Mm. Uh, we have core product, yeah, and and it's it's really pretty interesting. There's it, uh, S, uh, SDLC is very good at being pragmatic and controlled, uh, predictable. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not very good when you need speed to market and product evolution is, is critical. Yep. And of course, with our digital products, you know, we need to get to market quick. We need to <laughs> adapt. You know, these are all web-based and mobile app-based things that, that we've got to quickly turn around. So our digital products group has uh, implemented some of these DevOps principles, um, pretty, still low to medium maturity for most of them. But if we can take these ideas and use them within our core business, where we have our IT operations and we have all of our, our Cinemedia products, mm -hmm. then I think we'll be a more nimble um, company and our products will come out quicker. The corollary, the corollary to that is using these same kinds of DevOps principles for these cloud pushed upgrades, particularly with, uh, with finance and operations module, automated testing, um, understanding what dependencies are within our custom code. I think those principles are going to be really key to, to quickly uh, adopting whatever changes get pushed to us. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's, that is going to be the future. Things are, things are going to continue to happen at a quicker pace. And we have to figure out how to be able to do it at a quicker pace. Um, you know, that is one of the challenges, I think, for our profession in general. As business speeds up, we have to figure out ways of speeding up as well. So, hmm. well, yeah, I, com I completely agree. Good discussion, Tom. And like normally, at night we get to talk in and holy smokes, the time goes by. So <laughs> we probably need to wrap. <laughs> I know you probably need to get to another meeting. Um, but hey, I really, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and talking about this, I think it's some really practical stuff that a lot of people are dealing with. And, you know, hopefully, again, as they listen through here, that they get some ideas for, you know, how they can improve what they're doing, maybe take this kind of an approach going forward. Because, you know, just like you were talking about SDLC is, it's good. It's a good process in general, but it's very rigid. I think, you know, a lot of our traditional audit methodologies like you know going in and doing a post implementation review fine but it probably doesn't match as much the business environment that we're in right now and so we're going to have to start doing things a little bit differently and like i said i really appreciate you coming on and sharing what you've done that is a little bit different and kind of the the good things that happened yeah there were some learnings but 
you know, overall, like you said, this was an A minus B plus kind of effort. So got to say good on you, mate. You guys did did good on that one. Oh, well, thank you. And, and it's been a pleasure to talk about it. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again. You bet. Cheers. Cheers. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll catch you later on the next show. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com. And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.